Hi, and welcome to Bloody Good Reads, the new fiction podcast here at Snakebite Horror. Uh, I am your host, Mark Goddard, and as always, we are joined by an amazing guest. So this week, I call him the king of British zombie horror. He is the author of the two amazing series, Hater and Autumn. Today's guest is David Moody. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Mark, and thank you very much. Thank you for having me on. No worries, no worries. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for that introduction, which I'm sure I don't warrant at all. Oh, they definitely do. Definitely. A huge fan of Hater. So I'm um, oh, cool. so, so pleased to get you on. So, yeah, welcome to this little podcast. It's episode three. So, you're here in the early stages. The podcast is basically, I want to kind of push horror fiction. It's something Snakebite Horror has always tried to do from the start of the website. My whole aim here is to get people on and have a little chat about their career. My question I always start with is uh, how did you get into horror? What was it about horror that you love? And uh, yeah, we'll start from there. Oh, horror. Good old horror. And do you know what? I, I hate the label horror. I know it's probably not a great way to start, but it, <laughs> I, I've always, I always think it conjures up the wrong impressions. And the thing I love about horror is it just encompasses everything. It's more, for me, it's more an emotion than a genre. Mm. And I'm conscious that we're okay. only two minutes in and I'm already getting pretentious, but that's just the way <laughs> I'm going to roll tonight. <laughs> Um, hey, look, I'm a horror. See, hey, I'm a horror fan, so I, I know how you feel. <laughs> I mean, the, the example that I always give when I get asked about horror is is that when somebody says, "Do you want to watch a western?" then you know what you're going to mm. get, pretty much. But when mm. somebody says, "Do you want to watch a horror film?" "Do you want to read a horror book?" well, that can just encompass absolutely anything. Mm. And to be quite honest, you know, look out the window at the moment, and I think we're we're, we're living through a, a horror movie right now. It's just a for me, it's more a range of emotions than a particular genre. Um, but I think what really got me into it was a couple of things. I'm getting on a bit now. So I grew up in the 80s and, and two critical things happened to me during the 80s or happened to the world during the 80s, or the UK in particular, that really affected me. Uh, one of those was video nasties. Mm-hmm. Um, you just suddenly, all the horror that everybody was talking about, you just couldn't get hold of. It was just impossible to get anything horrific. Uh, and I think when we were we were starved of, of the horror that we wanted to see and wanted to read. But at the same time, we were living through this incredibly horrific time because it was the kind of the peak of the Cold War. So we were mm-hmm. living under the shadow of nuclear Armageddon. And I don't really think that shadow has gone away particularly. I think it's probably oh, no. it's looming a bit larger than, than before now. Um, but I think the fact that we were we were living under the threat of in four minutes time your whole world could be destroyed your life could be gone everything you know everything you rely on could disappear i think just the the, the threat of that and the starvation of typical horror uh, as a teenager those th- two things combined really to just to push me towards the darker side of things and i got bored of normality and i got bored of all the stuff that everybody else was reading and watching because back in those days as well of course ab- absolutely anything to do with horror science fiction superheroes you were an outcast. You weren't. A, you weren't mm. a geek. Geeks weren't weren't welcome then. You know, we were right on the, the edge of society and, and shunned and mocked. So it was a very different time. But I think all those things just combined and, and really got yeah. me into horror. So it, it it kind of never went away. And and unfortunately, it's one of those things as well that doesn't give you a clear career path. You don't sit down in front of your your careers teacher at school and they say, "What do you want to do?" Oh, horror. You know, you've got to yeah. <laughs> you've got to try and carve yourself a niche. So I decided I was going to be a blockbuster film director. Of course, and then I left school. Of course, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, we all do it. You know, and then left school, 
uh, with absolutely no way of fulfilling that dream because again this was quite a, a, a while ago and um universities and, and colleges all did very stuffy boring uh, courses there was no media there were no film uh, film degrees anything like that so further education just didn't seem a possibility was that around at the, the time? media because that was that was starting to just kick in around when i was at the end of my kind of, my kind of school especially with so you, the video nasties it's it's, it's a it's a hard one because so much more of those came out more into my early adult life the more yeah. re-releasing them like you know texas chainsaw massacre and, you know so i got to kind of experience as an adult but i think a lot of horror you have to kind of depending yeah. on what, obviously which subgenre you're into um when you're younger it's it's, a, it's a, like a rite of passage kind of thing i find but yeah no, completely and i guess there was an upside to it because we had this in amongst all my mates there was this camaraderie and it was who can find these films who can get hold of them mm-hmm. and we were very fortunate in that one of our friends his dad ran a, a comic shop in the middle of Birmingham. And it was before Forbidden mm. Planet and all of that. It was just, it was, it was out on its own. Again, it was the place where all the geeks went and the normal people didn't go. We used to spend a lot of time in there. And it, my friend's dad used to bugger off to America um, several times a year and then come back with an absolute shed load of stuff. And I remember one time he, he brought back a laser disc player. Remember laser discs? Oh, I remember laser discs. That lasted a yeah. well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, so he I, hey, back. I, I remember Betamax. So, <laughs> I, I I loved Betamax. I was a champion for Betamax. We we had a, a Betamax. I, w- I wouldn't let a VHS in my house for a long time. <laughs> so so my friend's dad brought back a load of films on Laserdisc, and um, mm. and that's where I first saw Night of the Living Dead, and I remember watching it on a very stormy summer's afternoon, and just knowing about this film, but knowing nothing about the film, just knowing its reputation. And for me, it was a really, it was a, a kind of, it was a, a world changing experience for me. It, it was, it just opened so many doors and made me think of so many things. And, and I guess it's kind of the inspiration for a lot of the stuff that, that I've gone on to write. Okay, I'm going to ask because Autumn obviously is a, is, is a zombie, zombie fiction novel. Um, yeah. So was Night and Living Dead quite a big inspiration for Autumn? Or? Yeah, yeah, it was. As I said, it was the first real zombie film that I, that I saw. But I think um, I think I hit the video nasties just at the right time because when mm. those films started to become available was when I'd started working and then I got some cash so I could go out and uh, and buy the videos when they were finally released. So I, I kind mm. of ate them up, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, and kind of became fascinated with zombies. Absolutely loved them, but uh, and they terrified me. But there were aspects of them that that really just didn't sit right that I couldn't understand and. Mm. That's with so with autumn. What I tried to do was write a more traditional zombie series, but put a more believable, <laughs> believable, believable <laughs> Walking Dead. You know, what I mean? just try and put a, a different kind of a spin on it. So in, like a in human autumn, to it. yeah, and, and try and try and make it a bit more plausible. So in in autumn, it kind of steers away from some of the cliches. There's no flesh eating because mm. I don't understand why there would be, but unless it's. Mm-hmm a way of just transmitting the infection what why would a zombie want to eat when it doesn't want to drink or sleep or sit down and have rest or go to sleep for a bit it's just it, it doesn't make sense not that anything about zombies makes sense um and and the other thing for me the first page of the first autumn book pretty much everybody dies and if they're going to mm-hmm. get up and be zombies they get up and become zombies pretty much just straight after that there's none of this the cliches where somebody gets bitten 
covers up the bite marks on their arm until the worst possible moment and then they manage to change just in you know, in, a, in a group of friends and kill everybody so i just try to to steer away and just make it more um yeah a bit more believable but yeah definitely night of the living dead was uh, was where it all started the farmhouse in autumn was, was definitely based on the farmhouse in, in night of the living dead I mean, did you always have the idea for for a series with Orton, or was you originally kind of just thinking solo? Because you've got what seven books now in the there's, autumn series? Yeah, there's six in the autumn series at the moment, but I'm I'm just this week poised to start another trilogy. Okay, just, that's just that because of about... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I've been planning it for a long time, but I'm actually starting the writing process this week. Um, and the, the reason for that, apart from the fact that people love them and I, I really enjoy them and I want to go back to them, um, it's mm. just the fact that I wrote the first autumn book 20 years ago. The first version came mm. out, yeah, I think, in about 2001. Uh, and back then, zombies weren't really a thing. They weren't they weren't mainstream. There was no Walking Dead. There was no 28 Days Later. It was just 28 Days Later came just after autumn was released. And, um, mm. and so the characters in autumn don't know what zombies are so they see these bodies walking around and think well what's going on here i'll check them out they don't think let's run the other way because these are zombies, zombies. but we're in we're in a very different world now and we're, we're far more connected and interconnected and i think it's just going to be interesting to to spin the whole scenario again but in today's today's situation not today's pandemic related situation but you know just uh, just in, in today's society but yeah, the intention to start with was just one book, um, but it, it went down really well, uh, and I was giving it away at the time. I had a book released just prior to that, a couple of years before, and it sank without trace. And so when I finished Autumn, I thought, what's the point of trying to find a publisher again who maybe is going to print half a dozen copies and just try and push them? The one thing I want to do with this book is get an audience. And so um, it was when people were first going online so I set up a website and started giving it away. And I know that there are thousands of authors, particularly zombie authors who give books away now, but there wasn't anybody else doing it when I started. So mm. it kind of, it just hit at the right moment. And I was getting, considering that there wasn't a real ebook marketplace at the time, I was getting quite you know, large numbers of downloads every day. And, and I thought, well, if people have enjoyed this, let's just see where it can take it. So I wrote a book, mm. uh, a, a sequel, and like to my surprise, people were buying it, and not in huge numbers. It was, uh, it was, um, you know, maybe five or ten copies a month, something like that. But it just said to me that there was a market for it. So then I thought another one, and 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 it wasn't just a cash in. I mean, I hope I don't give that impression, but there was oh, no. a, a very definite story. Definitely wanted to take it to places, mm. but yeah, it it grew quite exponentially. And then when, and when um, Hater took off a little bit, I think it was after the third autumn book. Um, I then sold the rights to to the autumn books to Thomas Dunbooks in New York, so they were given a mass market release in America and across the world, and and they've been great, been really good for me. So, yeah, I'm just keen to get back. But that, that was another another cliche that I wanted to avoid in the autumn mm. series that I could only do over a number of books, and that's that in most zombie books and films, I think the zombies are kind of they're very black and white. They're just yeah. they're, they're exactly the same at the end as they were at the beginning. And they're just there as stooges, really, just for somebody to hit around the head with a baseball bat or to decapitate or whatever. But in autumn, they've kind of got a character arc of their own. And over the course of the five books, and also it'll be repeated over the course of the new trilogy, they, they really change and they've got their own story, which I think is kind of, of unique in zombie fiction. 
we'll segue into your first book choice. Um, okay. What have you brought along to share with us? I have got, it's leads on very nicely, actually. Uh, and I'm afraid my my book choices tonight are all, all classics. And I'm, if anybody's read any interviews and things with me before, they'll have heard me talk about them because I just go on about these three books continually. <laughs> Um, and the first one is Richard Matheson's I Am Legend. Oh, I love that book. <laughs> it's in my top three. It's phenomenal, isn't it? Because, mm. and, and, and this book in itself, I think, was the uh, was the inspiration for Night of the Living Dead, or one of the inspirations for Night of the Living Dead. And, and yeah, it's just a it's just a phenomenal story. And, and you were talking earlier about the age that we experience horror. Uh, and I, I sometimes, I, I read books like this, and, and I think, I would love to have been in the initial audience for these things. Uh, another example is War of the Worlds. Just just imagine. I mean, War of the Worlds is it's still still great fun, but it's quite cliched now because we've had a, a hundred, hundred and fifty years of, of alien invasion stories. <laughs> but you just imagine the impact of reading that first Martian invasion book. It just must it have just, been unbelievable. It'd be amazing just to listen to it live. Just listen to it on the yeah. radio playing the audio play. It would be amazing. It's like, it's like oh, seeing yeah. the classic movies in the cinema for the first time. And I was quite lucky um, a few years back, um, the film festival Fright Fest was showing yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street for the first time on the big screen. I've mm. never seen it on the big screen. It's such a brilliant experience to see it on the big screen. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's, there's, there's just... Because when I Am Legend came into my kind of remit, it's when I started working for Waterstones, which... People yeah. listen to this podcast and I'll go on about what sounds quite a lot. I think that's where I might have met you once before. Is the culture stuff? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. About, that was a while ago. <laughs> yeah, it was a long time ago, wasn't it? Oh yes, it was. Um, <laughs> and the guy who ran the horror department there, he got me onto Hater, and he got me onto Autumn, and he got me onto I Am Legend because I was quite a big vampire fan, um, but it's very kind of mainstream vampire. I was a Buffy and Angel yeah. fan. I, yeah, you know that that, that kind of thing. And that kind of changed my outlook on vampire vampire stories overall. Again, it's one of these one of these books of like you just have to read it. The end of that book is just amazing. Um, yeah, no, it's absolutely phenomenal. And it's the same that you know the Will Smith version just couldn't couldn't do. <laughs> just the, the end of that. Well, no one seems to be able to just make a perfect film on that book, and that ending is just perfect. Do you know what? One of my big disappointment of, about the copy of I Am Legend that I've got in my hand at the moment is that it's got Will Smith on the front of it. But you know, if it got the if it got the book to another audience, then then fair enough. I actually did something on my my website a few years ago, and I, I looked at the different film versions because I don't know I don't know if you've seen all three, but the mm. um, the, the Vincent Price Last Man on Earth is is pretty pretty good. It's okay. there are there are aspects of it I think in the first couple of acts that really it kind of nails the tone of of the book, mm. um, but then it kind of goes off the rails towards the end. But but yeah, and and the less said about the Omega Man, which I really enjoyed when I was a kid, but just cringed through when I last watched it. And and Will Smith's version, no thank you, not good. <laughs> so that my Will Smith, but yeah, not 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 that's not my movie. That's that's not my I Am Legend. But no, that's a brilliant yeah, choice I, though. Ah, oh, good. Well, I'm glad, glad you approve. But yeah, it's um, <laughs> yeah, it's really it's a it's a formative book, isn't it? I think it's been the inspiration for so many people. And and Matheson mm. himself, what what I I really need to read more of his of his stuff because I've only really scratched the surface. But when you look at the impact that he had on the genre as a whole, I mean, he wrote mm. Incredible Shrinking Man. He wrote episodes of The Twilight Zone, which is just still the greatest TV series ever made, I think. And it's yeah, yeah just an absolute genius. 
So after autumn, so you said after the third autumn book, we yeah. went to Hater. Yes. What was the inspiration behind Hater? Hater was written um, in 2005 and 2006. And the inspiration, I can be very precise about this because the anniversary <laughs> of it wasn't too long ago. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but in July 2005, uh, London was hit by uh, suicide bombers. Yes. Uh, I think there were, was it th four of them? I think three on tube trains and one Coming who the didn't, buses, yeah. Yeah, he, did, he did, didn't make it yeah. to the train, so he decided to blow himself up on the top of a bus. Absolutely mm. horrific. And um, I, I remember just being absolutely appalled by, by this news um, and just watching it and thinking, what would drive somebody to do that? Mm. And then the thing that, that chilled me the most was that, I believe one of the bombers, I think it might have been the one on the bus, he was actually, his job was a classroom assistant um, looking after kids in school. And I thought, what what on earth could make you, could make that switch flick to make you think that that was okay? And I, I don't, mm. I, I'm really, I'm, I'm opposed to absolutely every form of religion. So I really, I shouldn't go down that route and talking about the reasons why and everything. But I just think what... How could somebody go from those two extremes? One week, be looking after kids in the classroom and helping them to grow and develop and learn and live. The next week, you're sitting on a crowded bus with a nail bomb yeah. about to destroy yourself and as many people as you can. And I just, and that absolutely terrified me, the fact that there could be such a switch in people's heads. And that got, got me thinking. And I absolutely didn't want to trivialise that in, in any way, shape or form. Um but the, the thought process went on and, and it started me thinking about divisions. And I thought there are so many different ways that we that we split ourselves up uh, that from each other. It's it's not just your ethnicity. It's not just the color of your skin. It's not it could be the color of your eyes, the length of your hair, your weight, your intelligence, your religious beliefs, whatever. We just we seem as a species to, to look at other people or some of us do look at other people and think you're different from me. Mm. and I don't want anything to do with you. So I thought it would be really interesting in a sick kind of way, I guess, if a new division came along, if something mm. came along that that kind of nullified all those divisions that we currently use, and it just carved this new divide through the human race. So that's the hate. And, and I'm very vague about what caused it, probably because I don't know what caused it. I'm just more interested in writing about the effects of it. And the effect of it is in, in, in the to cut a long story short half, half of the human race can't live with the other half and mm -hmm. it's so extreme that the, the the people who end up with the moniker hater which was hated before it became um, a, like a, a, a youth gang kind of phrase um, mm -hmm. that the, the haters are driven to kill the unchanged everybody else and so you've got kids killing their parents teachers killing their students you've got employees and employers fighting you've got all kinds of relationships that were previously rock solid no longer counting for anything and it's just well the, the tagline of the book was hate will be hated kill or be killed and so that's really where, where the idea came from and uh and it's and, quite yeah. it quite um considering everything that's going on now around the world it's quite um it's it fits in well with, with today's society really doesn't it do you know what? It's, it's really, it, it is really weird. I think probably every month um, I get something from somebody around the world saying, 
I feel like I'm watching Hater out my window at the moment. And bearing in mind now that this book, um, it had its, it, I, I released it independently and then it got picked up, which I'm sure we could talk about in a bit, but ended up being released around the world in 2009. Um, and it, literally every month since then, somebody has said to me, God, this book becomes more and more relevant by the day. And, and I have to admit, just looking now at some of the scenes, particularly I think some of the scenes in, in states in America where there's a, a push to, to reopen and people are uh, uh, fighting against wearing masks and people are mm-hmm. saying, you're not taking my gun from me. And it, and, you, and it all becomes very, very tribal, or it seems to. And it's mm-hmm. it's it's scary how, how, um, how relevant hater feels today. Yeah. It's... I guess and, and it's with, starting with, to feel more like it over here too. I mean, th- yeah. things things are getting yeah, things are dark, and yeah, it's it's a new world, not a nice world, but it's, it's a new world. But people are less tolerant nowadays, and people hate yeah, it. Which again, yeah, I, I think it's a very scary world. I think um, for for me, one of the books that I that I didn't bring today to the table, but it was pro- probably would have been my my reserve choice mm. is nineteen eighty four which mm. I think is just a phenomenal piece of work and it's so so forward thinking and uh, but I think that some of the 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 stuff some of the ideas in 1984 with like the rewriting of history to fit what the ruling party wants and I just look listen you know there's a president regardless of whether you support him or not there's a president who stands there in America and if somebody says something he doesn't like he just decries it that's fake that didn't happen you know, if 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 I'd got an employee working for me who was who, who was saying the things that that guy was saying, they'd have been sacked a long time ago. And it's just it's it's just ridiculous, and it and it terrifies me that we are living in a world now where you just don't know what's fact and what's fiction anymore. God, it is dark, isn't it? It is dark. <laughs> so where do I go from there? <laughs> yeah. On a, on a, on a on a different note, um, yeah. Autumn in two thousand nine was released as a movie. How did that come uh, out? Yeah. Uh, w- weirdly, yeah. So, so my 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 books, I, I independently published things to start with, uh, and autumn the, the first three autumn books really took off, and and I got to the point where I thought I need to get some more books out there, and I can make a living from this, and that's how Hater came about. Um, Hater then had been out for about a month, and randomly somehow ended up on the desk of Guillermo del Toro in in uh, in America who mm. then bought the film rights for it. And at the same time, I had an approach from a, a little Canadian company to make a film adaptation of Autumn. And I've got, literally had both these these offers arrive within a week of each other. It's a, it's a totally different, two different sizes of the coin, isn't it, really? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And my, my thinking was, if I say yes to both of these, that the polar, polar extremes of, of the, the film industry, mm. then one of them's going to happen surely it felt like i wasn't putting all my eggs in one basket mm. so I, I i agreed both of them and, and as it as it happened autumn was made very quickly and hater um hasn't been and we're, we're still talking about it and believe it or not we are still talking about it and now with everything that's going on with coronavirus and the pandemic um it seems like there's more of an appetite again so things are are moving on on that score but but autumn yeah was a very. Would it still be with Del Toro under there, or is it? Are they looking at more new directors this time around? No, um, nothing. Nothing was coming of the the uh, Del Toro thing, and it kind of well, 
Hollywood's a very fickle place, as I'm, I'm sure you've heard, and and it, it, it's it's so frustrating, particularly as a writer at, at a distance, because you have no control over it. Mm. And um, it, it it seemed that it, it was literally it was about to go in front of the camera. The next week, the script was written, but the script was by a bloke called Glenn Mazzara, who went on to become one of the early showrunners for The Walking Dead. They'd got oh, J.A. Bayona lined up to direct, who directed The Orphanage and um, the last Jurassic World film. So it was it was big, and they were chucking loads of money at it, and then it just didn't happen. And I've never been able to fully find out why. I think it was script issues, but but I'm not entirely sure. Um, so yeah, so that 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 kind of that kind of just just crumbled. Um, but then Del Toro's people kept renewing the rights. But we, I got to the point where I was getting approaches from elsewhere, and I thought mm. this really isn't going anywhere. That's going to sit on a shelf somewhere and 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 never get made. So I actually, it was about five years ago now, met with um, a guy called Ed Barrett, who's a film producer based in Newcastle, and sat down with him, and and he really understood the the exactly where I was coming from with the books. We had a very similar vision. He he's. Ed's establishing a huge name for himself. Uh, I guess a lot of people won't have heard of him yet, but in a couple of years' time, I'm sure you will, because he's got some great stuff in the pipeline at the moment. Um, and I, I, I thought, yeah, he's the man for it. So we almost got close a couple of years ago. We were with with a, another big studio looking at a TV adaptation. Mm. Um, but again, last minute, that didn't work out. Uh, and we have got some movement at the moment but frustratingly as usual i just can't, i'm not allowed to say anything about it right now i know <laughs> i won't push you on <laughs> <laughs> so i don't know what to ask this or not if you don't want to answer it you don't have to and i can cut this bit out but um was you happy with the autumn movie yeah you know, I, I knew you were gonna ask me that question as soon as you started it um <laughs> that's a good question and i actually there's I feel like my stock answer is going to be, please refer to my website. But I have, I did write an essay on this a while ago because yes and no, you know, it's, it's incredibly, um, it's, it's just amazing to have had a film made in my book. And I still, I've got the DVD, but bizarrely, it's got me as a zombie on the cover. I've got the DVD mm-hmm. here somewhere and occasionally I'll watch it and I think, wow, they, they made a, a, a film of my book. And I will never forget the experience of, of going out to Canada where it was filmed and sitting on set and just watching people being the characters that I, I created. It was um, it, it was just totally surreal. And and they did, they got quite a decent cast in there. Dexter Fletcher, who, mm. who uh, was in Luckstock and has gone on to be a, a film director. So he directed, I think, Rocket Man and he went and did, uh, he picked up Bohemian Rhapsody after Brian Singer got sacked and... So he's done really well, weirdly, because of Autumn. Because I think he, he did two films yeah. in quick succession. This is what I've heard on a grapevine. He made two films in quick succession that were so awful, he thought he was never going to act again. So he moved into directing. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so, so no, it's, I think it's, it was made with a lot of heart. It was made with the absolute best intentions. I think a lot of money was spent just, on uh... the cast. Yeah. Sorry. Maybe too much spent on cat. Maybe maybe a bit too much spent on the cast and the production. Which Not enough been, on proper cameras. Yeah, which would have been. Yeah. yeah. Which would have been better. But at least you know. Yeah. At least someone has come out and they have done a film of your work, which again, it must be amazing. To, like like you said, to go up there and see it a bit done. You know. So. Well, 
you know, I, I, I got to, to fly to Canada. I got to dress up as a zombie and have a fight with Dexter Fletcher in the snow at three o'clock in the morning. And I'll, I'll never forget that. I don't care how bad the film is. <laughs> um, no, it, it was good. And it, but it's one of those films that was almost so bad it's good kind of thing. So somebody said to me right at the beginning of all of this, there's, um, it's better to have a bad bad film made of your book than no film at all. And I can see where they're coming from with that. Which is a good way of thinking about it. A good way of saying it. It, it did find a, a, just a massive audience, a pirate audience, unfortunately. So we've never made any money from it. But uh, David Carradine, who played kind of a, a small cameo, cameo in it, um, he it was the last film that he made before he died. And as it was just going into post-production, mm. it was just, it was just um, almost ready for release. He passed away and suddenly there was all the world's attention was on um, this film. And I remember, I remember, you know, IMDB, the it's website, where it's got this, the, 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 I don't know what they call it, movieometer or something. Yeah. And they list the, the films. Well, I, I remember just for one week that mm. Autumn, because of what had happened to Carradine, Autumn was sandwiched between, I think it was Slumdog Millionaire and Star Trek in the top 10. And it was just absolutely crazy. So, yeah, it was good. It was good publicity. <laughs> So yeah, that, yeah. That is a perfect Good publicity, god awful <laughs> film. So, what is your second, My second book, book you brought along this time? I think I am going to have to pick. It's it's another classic. It's another old classic. And I've got two copies here in front of me. Uh, it's Day of the Triffids by John Wyndham. And the, t- the reason I've got two copies okay, is because I bought one a short while ago and then found in my parents' house my ancient 1980s paperback with a photograph from the the BBC adaptation on the front, which is just so well loved and so so well read. It's incredible. Um, the, the reason why this book had such an impact on me, I think this was probably my first real experience of horror. I, I, I don't think it should have been, but it was in the library, in my junior school library. And um, when the teacher said, go and get yourselves a reading book. I, I looked at it and thought and saw these weird looking plants on the front cover. I had no idea what it was about. Took it home, read it over the weekend, was completely traumatized and completely blown away by it. It's one of those books. I think it's just mm-hmm. the best description. I think is by Brian Aldiss, a science fiction author who said that John Wyndham wrote, wrote cozy catastrophes. And that's kind of what sold it for me. It was just, it was so so British, so quiet, so nice, but so horrible at the same time. And he wrote it in such a way that eight foot tall, walking, carnivorous plants seemed realistic, seemed plausible. And I, yeah, honestly, it just it, it just it changed my world completely. I think it's the um, it's so clever what he did in introducing the triffids and just having them there as these things which were incredibly dangerous, but also incredibly useful because they were providing triffid oil, which was replacing normal oil, et cetera, et cetera, and a great thing for the economy. Um, But at the same time, they were deadly. And then the human race is blinded by an because the planet goes through an asteroid field or some comet display or whatever. And I think just the two things together, completely unexpected, but honestly, absolutely stunning book. And I, and I, I, I love it to this day. It's always nice to find books in a school library, though. <laughs> books like that, that you don't, yeah. Because I, I remember, was it was high school? Because I used to spend quite a lot of time in the library. I was quite a, quite an avid reader when I was younger. I remember kind of coming across Robert R. McCammon's mm. uh, Wolf's Hour, 
nice big tome, nice big tome, and that's kind of one of my first kind of proper go backs in go goes into into horror. It was uh, not a book you would have thought you would find in a, no. in a library at a high school. It's uh, yeah, I remember it quite vividly. Yeah, there was a memory of that. No, I think, that I I think teachers must do it on purpose. Must just just sneak them in from time to time, just just to corrupt kids in the right way. But also nice not to have so many. Uh, ha- don't have so much Stephen King there, <laughs> which is even better. <laughs> yeah, I, I admire the guy's output, but um, I, I'm not not an enormous King fan. No, it's a bit too Americanized for me, but and uh, just my personal taste. But <laughs> after kind of Hater and Autumn, I must say Autumn in between as well. Uh, you did a couple of solo books. Yes. You also did The Bleed with Chris Philbrook yeah. and Mark Tuffo. What is it like to write a book for two and three people? It must be quite a it strange experience. It was a strange experience. It still is a strange experience because we, we're signed up to do a trilogy. So we're, we're actually, I, I've, I've sent my bit in for part two, but it's, um, yeah, it, it, it's very strange. Oh. I had kind of done something similar before with a book series called The Front. I, I always seem to be like late to the party on these things and I'm mm. fortunate to, to get invited to them. But The Front was um, a World War Two zombie series, uh, which two authors from America, uh, Craig DeLui and Tim Long, were putting together. And Tim had written the first book, start to finish, okay. put that out. Uh, and, and then it occurred to them that maybe the next book would be good from a, a British author. Um, because it was set in the Battle of the Bulge, so you've got the, the American and, and British forces, and you just thought it'd be good to have a British perspective. So I, I stepped in and wrote the second volume to that, and then Craig finished it off with the, the third book. Um, so that time around, it was just one book each. But what we've done with The Bleed, which is, mm. I think it's a lot more challenging and will be more challenging as we get into the second books, is that we, we're writing a third of each book each. So the, the concept behind The Bleed... And Chris and Mark came up with this. And again, I was very fortunate to be invited into it. Um, uh, there's this interdimensional inter, yeah, interdimensional horror called The Bleed. And it's it, it just exists to destroy everything. Uh, uh, and it just it travels between dimensions, between worlds, destroying stuff. So it was just, for the first book, it was quite straightforward. Let's all pick a world each and just talk about what The Bleed does there. Um but then as we got into it, we were, we kind of de- decided where the characters were going to go. So there's a lot of crossover at the end of the first book, which carries on into the second book. Uh, um, and it's been really interesting just because they have a completely different style to me, a completely different approach to me. And, um, yeah, try, trying to get us all mm. to, to kind of agree on a story has been has been interesting. But I think if we pull it off, and I'm, I'm sure we will because they're both great, um, it's going to be a really interesting thing to read. I mean, that take a lot of time to kind of maybe to hash it out to each other because I know even writing down up, you know, ideas for books in general it takes a while. So it must take a, a long while yeah. to kind of between yourselves finally well, get to get that finished book product. Book one was quite straightforward, really, because as I said, largely it was uh, the three of us writing our, our individual introductions to our stories, and that, and it's not, uh, and each part is is quite self-contained. So it, it is like three separate stories that converge in book one. So that was okay. But book two is proving to be a little bit more of a challenge in that uh, I, I wrote my book first. I had some time earlier in the year, so I wrote my part first. And now Chris and Mark are having to write around that and then get us to the point that we want to get to for the last book. And we've, we've already said that book three, I think, might have a completely different approach because 
we're going to have to be so tight on where the individual strands go to get us all to the right place at the right time for the for the ending that we're building up to. But no, it's been a it's been a great experience. Um, very fortunate. Mark Mark's got a huge following with his Zombie Fallout series, so we were really I was really pleased that we um, this was taken up as an, an Audible exclusive. So it's had a lot a big push from Audible, a great narration, and um, and yeah, it seems to have gone down really well. It's definitely in my with, read list. I'm currently because we're currently reading oh, Strangers, oh, your, your book Strangers at the moment. So it's That's definitely in my next one. I'm really enjoying it. It's really good. I love I love the uh, first chapter of Strangers. The the ending of the first chapter. I won't spoil it. You won't. You don't expect it. It's like, a really oh. it's a really weird little book. That one. <laughs> I did like. I do. The thing mm. I think that if if you want to earn a living as a writer, you you kind of have to you have to balance out writing the things that you want to write with the things that you know are, are going to sell. So, um, autumn and hater books, I, I know will sell for me and, and the stuff I'm doing with Mark and Chris, I know that that will sell. So it's it kind of smaller niche books get put, pushed to the wayside a little bit. And strangers was one of those. Um, it's quite, I think it came out in 2014, so it's quite old now, but, but yeah, it's just a very weird kind of, um, story that, that I wanted to write. And it, it this would lead, this would lead quite nicely into my third book because it was, um, I, I wrote it after meeting James Herbert and just thought it was, it was a kind of Her- Herbert-esque, um, you know, kind of concept. That must, that must have been an amazing experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I don't know if I'm going to upset the flow of, of your, your podcast now, but I'll just say that my, my third book is a James Herbert book. And he... he um, I, Let's, uh, let's yeah, let's sure. segue into well, that if you okay, want. Okay, <laughs> it's Domain. It's, it's Domain, the third rap yeah, book. Yeah, cool. Um, which, uh, I'll, I'll talk about that in a second, sure. I'll just, but I'll, I'll tell you about meeting meeting James first because it, it was just incredible. It's just one of those things that you, you just, I, I, I still get goosebumps thinking about it now. Um, so he, he didn't release many mm. books towards the end of his life, as I'm sure you know. And Ash, I think, was his last novel. And... Um, when he mm. when it was released, he did two events, one in London and one in Birmingham, um, two two uh, signings, mm. and uh, coincidentally at the same time, one of my readers I think had been trying to get in touch with Birmingham Waterstones and and, and really do me a favour and say, oh, you want to get Dave Moody in to do a signing, and it, it was very good of them, very kind of them. Um, but the conversation went, oh, we haven't got room for it at the moment. But what we have got is James Herbert coming in. Do you think he'd want to host? So do you think I'd want to host? Uh, and they just phoned me up. And uh, I thought about it for maybe 10 seconds. No problem. I, I'd love to do it. But then as soon as you put the phone down, you think, oh, shit, what have I just signed mm-hmm. up for? Because that was it was just, <laughs> it was incredible, but it was terrifying as well. My my book signings, as as I'm sure you'll oh, remember yeah. <laughs> from my visit to Waterstones in Colchester many years ago, and, and I think most writers' book, um, book signings they're not massive celebrity events by any stretch of the imagination. Um, it's it's if you're lucky, it's a steady stream of people. If you're really lucky, you clear all the books from your table. But James Herbert, I remember it was at yeah. um, the the branch of Waterstones in Birmingham, where it was, has now has now moved. It's an Apple store now, but I don't know if you know it. It's the the, the old Birmingham branch it was a very grand building. It used to be a bank, and it's and it's this huge, very yeah. ornamental space with a. We used to have a great big staircase in it. It was incredible. And when my wife and I arrived there, 
we couldn't get in because there were just queues around the building for James Herbert. And there were literally, there were hundreds and hundreds of people and there were, it, it was sold out. It was absolutely packed. And they said, oh, we just want you to interview him for about an hour before first and just see how you get on. So I, I, I was terrified, meeting a hero mm. as well. But the, the, the most amazing thing was getting to spend a bit of time with him before and just talk, even, even though it was only for a few minutes, it felt like seconds, but just to talk to him about being a writer and the craft and what he'd experienced and what he'd been through. Um, I made a terrible mistake in saying that um, we churn these books out. And he, we never churn these books out. These are works of art. These are works of love. You put your soul into it. Just and like kind of ev- ev- everything he said <laughs> Ooh, to me just dear. just kind of hit home, and it was just it was honestly it was incredible. Yeah. As you can tell by the way that I'm not making sense talking about it now. Um, but I I had this this next book <laughs> this this exact copy of Domain with me. Because this book, it's, I'll, I'll be honest, it's, not, it's absolutely not the greatest book ever written. I read it again a few years ago. Um, and it, it, it doesn't hold up. But again, it's another book that caught me absolutely at the right moment when I was maybe 15 or 16. It's, it's the only book to this day that I've ever gone back, got to the last page, finished reading, and then gone back and started again. Um, it just had a, an enormous effect on me. And and I was kind of effusing about it to him, and and kind, and kind of held this copy up to him, with shaking hand, and asked him if he'd sign it, which which he was gracious enough to do. And he he, he was just so dismissive. Yeah, good book that he said. Not a bad one. Not a bad one. I said, this changed my life, man. Come on. <laughs> that is alright. <laughs> but it it's alright. It's yeah. alright. <laughs> it, it is a, it is amazing though. I think it's yeah. um, it was the nastiest book I'd ever read, and. Um, I, I I didn't know that horror could be so relentless until I read that book and just every page. I don't know if you've read mm. it, but every page it gets grim, grimmer, grimmer one, and grimmer, no. and bloodier and bloodier. I mean, the premise is is bad enough anyway. You know, with the, with the, the original rats books, you've got mutant killer rats roaming the countryside eating mm. people. But the the beginning of this book, there's a nuclear war, so. The, the country is destroyed and he, mm. he goes he, he with just incredible detail he he talks about various people being evaporated burned scarred whatever and it's just incredible it's just oh, it's just absolutely amazing book and um i took so much from it and even a lot of the the stuff that i did in autumn i wrote a companion book for for the autumn series called the human condition which was about 40 different um, short stories of people who you, you some you meet in the, in the other novels some you don't but just little snapshots of their lives and where they were when their worlds ended and when things changed and that was kind of lifted directly from domain mm. because you'd, he'd be going along with the story of these survivors and their fight against these mutant rats and then suddenly he breaks off to tell you about some woman in her house um, who is so traumatized by the fact that the bombs dropped that she's continuing to go on as if everything's normal and she's got her what's left of her family tied to the chair and she's doing evening tea for them all and it's absolutely terrifying but absolutely stunning Jesus. incredible book I, i'd definitely recommend it I'm, I'm, yes I'm no i would i would <laughs> i think there's always you always find that there's, there's a there's one or two books that will, that will change how yeah. you see the genre um so i've always said because my number one book of all time and it's, it's, it's a dark book it's uh jack ketchum's yeah. girl next door it's because i 
again, when, when, I, when I first worked at Waterstones, is you've got the guy who ran the horror section was kind of like, I need to give you some proper books to read. So I was reading um, a lot of the uh, like teeny kind yeah. of vampire stuff or just general, you know, mainstream horror. He said, read this. It will change mm-hmm. the way you, you read. And I'll always remember reading that book the first time and how dark and just how yeah. gritty that book is. <laughs> and I've, I, said, I said in the first podcast, it's the, um, I've only ever teared up for two books. And that is the first book that ever made me feel so wow. disgusted at the end that I actually really? cried at the end of that. And I don't do that often. Don't do that often. But it's just the ending of that book. And it's, and, and it changed how I looked at horror. It's changed how I watch and, and read horror. Um, and I'll always be grateful that I've read it. And I'm a, and after from that, I became a huge Jack Ketchum, uh, Jack Ketchum fan. And I found your books. I found um, yeah. Jeff Strand's books as well. Um, yeah, so you'd always, like, like, like I say, there's always that, that yeah. one book that will change you. And... And that's the wonderful thing about fiction. And like, like, like you said to start a podcast, I mean, horror isn't a genre. It's a multiple yeah. of genres. It's, you know, especially when, because obviously I do the film podcast, it's, you know, what, what horror films you like? So, well, mm-hmm. what subgenre do I like? Yeah. I'm a huge slasher fan, you know? No. Doesn't think it means horror. You know, Aliens is sci-fi, but you still class that as a horror. I mean, um, Science of Lands gets classed as a horror film, but I always class yeah. it as a crime film. So it, it was all, you know, how you see things. But um, no, I, but I'm going I, I think I think you you're exactly right. There's a real snobbery, I think. Um, well, there certainly used to be about horror. Mm. Um, when you consider how popular it is and, and how much how much money it makes, it's really unjustified. But I think that, that, that mm. people do look down their noses at horror because some of the most horrific um, books that I've ever read don't mention horror anywhere on the covers at all. Um, and, and two that immediately spring mm. to mind, I, I always mention, uh, are Cormac McCarthy's The Road, which is just so so bleak mm-hmm. and so horrific, it's untrue. Um, but absolutely not a horror book because it's a piece of literary, uh, to literary classic. And also, uh, we need to talk about Kevin, which is yeah, really unpleasant, really uncomfortable read, really horrific, but absolutely not mm-hmm. a horror book, according to the, uh, the definitions. Uh, Wasp Factory, yeah, by Ian Banks is another one which it's. I love that book. It's one of my top I, five. I have books to embarrassingly admit, um, I haven't read that or the Ketchum book that like you that. mentioned. So I've got to get. I've got to put that right. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't read for far for far too long. <laughs> I, I didn't read. I worked. I used. I used to work full time, and then I wrote full time, and then I went back to working full time mm-hmm. again. And I just never found time to read. And I always knew that it was a terrible mm-hmm. thing, but. I was going to say I had a bit of an incident earlier in the year, and it and it made me um, kind of slow down, and and stop and 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 kind of change mm. things. And and reading is one of the things that it did. Re- reading and film watching, two things that I'd really fallen out of the habit of doing, but they're so important. I mean, Stephen King always says that a writer needs to read constantly, and it's abs- it was absolutely true. Um, but mm. it's 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 just not always possible. But you need to make it possible. Uh, what are you working on at the moment? I know you obviously you're working on Autumn Dawn. Is there any other books you've got in the pipelines or any yeah, other projects so, um, you've got going on? I think I've mentioned most of them. I um, yeah, I've I've turned in my yeah. my part for the next Bleed book, which I think is due out at the end of March. So 
no doubt I'll be be talking. I was going to say arguing then, but we don't argue. We discuss arguing, uh, discussing with Mark <laughs> and, and Chris and getting that book into shape um, by the end of this year. Uh, the yeah new autumn trilogy. I cannot wait to get started on. It's going to be so different to the other books, but also so familiar. I hope I just hope I can pull it off. I think it would be good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am just literally, I've got probably an hour of editing to do tomorrow on another novel, which I've, I've not said very much about. Mm-hmm. I've, got, I've been working on it on and off for about the last 18 months. Uh, I'm not even sure what it's called. Um, the original title is was uh, Was She Ever There? which is a line from a Barry song, right? Um, mm. can't even remember which Barry song now. But um, it's, it's, I don't know, it's just a book I've needed to write for a long time for various reasons. Uh, and, and the basic premise is that uh, a married couple on their way home from a party one Saturday night um, are forced off the road and they go off a bridge, end up in a river, he survives, she dies. And the next day she comes back to find out why. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's not, not what you'd expect. I'm looking forward to reading I've got to see if anybody will publish it next. Definitely going to be on the list. So yeah, should should hopefully have that finished tomorrow. And and uh, I really don't know. I honestly don't know what I'm going to do with it because I don't know what the market's like at the moment. I, I, I released three, a second mm. hater trilogy um, over the last few years through Thomas done books in america and um and it and it didn't sell anywhere near as much as the first hater series did I, I'm, I'm not entirely sure why but if, when you when i add that to the fact that we're in the middle of a pandemic at the moment and america there's a lot of aspects of america not in great shape i, I don't know if there'll be the the market for this book so i may end up doing it myself through infected books but we'll see we'll see what happens well, thank you for joining us on the... Uh, I'm bloody good read. I almost said the horror cast. I keep doing this. <laughs> when you run a yeah. free podcast, it gets very confusing. <laughs> thank you for joining us here on Bloody Good Reads. Uh, it was really amazing to talk to you. Where can people find you on social medias? If, if you want that. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I absolutely do want, want contact. Yeah. Um, my website is davidmoody.net. Um, I'm on Facebook and Instagram as davidmoodyauthor and twitter as david j moody i think i think that's everything um but yeah it's always great to hear from from anybody brilliant and thank you thank you for having me on i've I've really enjoyed it no worries no it's it's been been an amazing been amazing chat so uh thank you so much for coming on um you can also catch me over on twitter at bloody good reads or my personal one and the horrorcast um twitter page at snake bite horror you can also catch us over on instagram at snake bite horror as well and you can also catch us over on goodreads which is our page where we'll find out all of the books that our uh, our guests have picked and will be up on goodreads in our own little section there catch us again also every fortnight on snake bite horrorcast uh we have some great episodes in the back catalog as well you can catch that on the on the main feed especially our recent episode with brandon christian Christensen, the author, the director of Z and a director of Stillborn. So that's a really good episode. I'd suggest going and having a listen to that. He's a very interesting guy there. But yeah, as always, I have been your host, Mike Ballard, and I will see you next time.